You're listening to Canned Peaches from KBIA. I'm Nina Mukherjee-Firstenoff. We're discovering how communities locally and globally are intertwined through food. And we're going out to farms, forests, and faraway kitchens to explore food and community through five ingredients. Have you ever heard the sound of bees? It's a sound of hard work, the sound of production, the sound of interconnection. It's a hum, a vibration that goes through you and binds you to something that maybe you can't explain, but you just feel it. In this episode of Canned Peaches, the ingredient we're exploring is honey. When you explore honey, in many ways, you're exploring the world of sound. And I've experienced that hum firsthand on my farm in mid-Missouri. Someone else who knows the power of that hum is a Missouri producer and grower, Clay Stem. Well, I really want to get everybody suited up so we can get down before it gets any, any yes, warmer. That's good. Thank you Thank so you. much. Our producer, Alex Cox, and our team visited Clay on a very hot summer morning. They were about to suit up and harvest at his beehives. Hi, my name is Clay Stem. Uh, we're just north of Columbia at Stem to Table Farm. And Alex, you were there with me. Hi, Alex. Hi, Nina. Oh, yes, it was an outrageously hot morning in June, and our team met Clay just after 6 a.m. on his small farm just outside of Columbia. Clay says he always saw farming as something you needed a lot of land and equipment and big tractors to do, but he's been so happy to find that he can have a big impact on the community and its food sources by farming on his small farm just outside of Columbia. He first operated a microgreen production business, and now he's moved to beehives and honey. He sells at the local farmer's market and to local chefs. And he says it's a struggle because producing a local organic crop is expensive, and it relies on a community to support it. It's a circle. Clay grows local organic sustainable ingredients like honey for the community, and the community supports the operation. Just like bees, they feed each other. That's right. And one thing every beekeeper we meet tells us is that you have to be calm before you deal with bees. It forces you to breathe deeply, slow down your heart rate, and get right with yourself before moving to the hives. We were calm, weren't we, Alex? Oh, yeah. We were so calm. So I calm. was not thinking about the potential I might be allergic at all. <laughs> so we're walking through a beautiful uh, grassy field. You can hear a lot of birds singing with the surrounding wooded areas. And we're walking up to eight hives. Actually, it looks like more than eight hives. I'll have to ask because I see two more in the distance. Blue and white. Really, uh, really um, inviting, actually. So we're, we're hearing the birds and the bees, just in case I didn't make that clear. <laughs> I think this is where we should take a deep breath and just relax because mm -hmm. we're around the hives. We don't want the bees to get too excited. Mm -hmm. You can see there, you know, how active they already are. I mean, as soon as the sun's up, they're, they stay in the hive all night for the most part. And uh, as soon as that sun comes poking out, you can see they they get to work. Alright, so we got everything loaded, everybody's suited. We'll head down and and rock and roll here.
25 years. Well, we're basically going to get suited up so we can go down and pull honey supers. Uh, that we have, we put, uh, so supers are the boxes we harvest. The deep brood boxes are, are what we leave for the bees. The supers we add on and we'll add as many as we possibly can, you know, as many as they'll fill, hopefully. And that's the key to having your hives make it through winter because then they're, they're ready, they're ready to go for that early spring flow and they'll load up on the honey for you. When you're starting hives a little bit later, <clears throat> they're just building up their own resources and not necessarily filling the extra boxes that the beekeeper would harvest. So it's always fascinated me that bees just, they just make too much. They make more than they need. They'll fill up. As a beekeeper, it's basically just managing space. So you give them more space, they will use it. If they don't have enough space, that's a lot of times when they want to swarm. So that's why you kind of have to be ahead of them a little bit. So you mentioned the word swarm, and this is something, you know, a lot of beekeepers will say, um, I caught a swarm. So this brings to mind, we were talking about this on the way over, you know, somebody with a big fish net, you know, going out with a butterfly net. <laughs> That's one way you could catch so them. So tell, tell me how you catch a swarm. Basically, sitting on the trailer over there, it's a big white box. That's what I, that's a swarm trap. So basically, I just, I give them a home to come into. I, I lure them in with, I burn the wood because it's kind of like a burned out tree cavity. Also use a little bit of lemongrass oil and drawn, frames of drawn comb. That, those three things right there, have, have I've had 100% uh, success this year particularly. We went ahead this winter and built more traps. We've only ever had one. And usually I just get calls and go, go catch them. But this year uh, we put seven traps out and we caught seven swarms. So it's like you provided bee condos for all of those eyes. <laughs> what, what does the sound do for you? I mean, do you sit, ever sit and just listen to it? Oh, it's, it's no, it's, it's, it's uh, you feel it in your soul, I feel like. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, it's hard to explain. I mean, I'll have that buzz in my ear for hours afterwards. Um, and and <clears throat> I don't know if that does anything on a molecular, you know, level, but it's uh, it's intense, you know, because you, you look at, we're going to open hives that easily have 40 to 80,000 bees in them. And so that's a lot of bees that are buzzing all around. And uh, we just want to try to keep them as happy as possible while we're invading their home. Because <laughs> that's what we're doing. You know, I mean, we are... Like I say, as a beekeeper, we're just managing space. They're, they're just, if they want to leave, they can leave. We can't fence them in. Um, so we want to try to keep them happy and, and comfortable and healthy. Hanging out with Clay Stem really shows the challenges of beekeeping are the challenges about our food right now. Things are scarce, which makes things expensive. Clay says it's too expensive to do what he does without the support of the community showing up at the farmer's market to buy his honey. He even has his family pitch in. We met his son, Chase Stem, there. Working away. It was, <laughs> yeah, it working, was a hot morning. Working away indeed. This idea of community brings us to a really special organization that embodies this idea that we're exploring so much in this podcast about how food connects us. It's just a powerful thing to gather around. Rustic Roots Sanctuary is a farm in Spanish Lake near St. Louis, Missouri. It convenes people around food, but with something very specific in mind, making change. Advocates, activists, foodies, chefs, beekeepers, and producers, and those who want to learn all of the above gather at Rustic Roots, and they talk about food. Elderflower champagne, experience meditation through sound baths, and they also talk about injustice and crimes that are associated with land that has created a rift 
felt by black and brown people in the land that can sustain us. So as they're enjoying food and growing and planting and beekeeping, they also talk about changing the system. Our beloved producer, Lauren Hines Acosta, was there, and she was not spared from the heat. Oh my God, it's so hot. Right, so usually about the first time I start harvesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was Lauren you heard there, but she stuck it out. And she listened in on some incredible conversations. People were visiting from all over the world to talk about food, justice, and equity, and about giving back to the land in ways that can sustain and heal us. They talked a lot about healing at Rustic Roots. Finding healing in the land, in the hum of their beehives, in the way that nourishes us and sustains us, like Clay Stem, Janet Lewis also talks about the need to be grounded and calm before you even think about going out with the bees. Um, the bees are very sensitive to our energies when we go in the hive, so we usually take off our shoes and do grounding exercises and take like three cleansing, grounding breaths before we enter the hives. And usually when that's done first, they're, they're, uh, there's more of a hum, like in the hives where you know they're like satisfied and feeling good. It's magic inside the hives. Um, the, the smell in there just calms you down and the humming, like you can listen to the bees and understand when they're upset. You can listen to the bees and understand when they're happy. There's like all these different buzzes that they do and it's just very magic. There's like waggle dances that they do to communicate. Um, there's fanning when they're alerting that the queen's over here or the queen's out of the hive. And um, so there's all of these uh, nonverbal cues that bees are giving. And if you learn to listen to the bees, you'll really, really understand them. So yes, it's delicious. And um, it also is going to make a nice little barrier. So what we're trying to do is create a windbreak for the bees because the northeastern wind gets rough in the wintertime. So if the bees don't have some sort of structure, a lot of the times um, they can freeze. We have a little orchard over there where those like middle-sized trees are growing. We've got peaches, persimmons, jujubee, pecans. Um, uh, there's fig trees in there. Hi, my name is Janet. I'm the founder and executive director of Rustic Root Sanctuary. And today we have welcomed the Roots and Remedies 2023 conference into our space and hosted them with a delicious farm to table meal. My goals with Rustic Root Sanctuary are to heal trauma in nature and basically liberate people from systemic racism and the conditions of living in low to middle income areas and not having access to food. So my honey and bee operation is basically, I want to say four to five years old. 
Um, I have been beekeeping and I've also run a beekeeping mentorship program for two years that was very successful. It was all women that came to the space to learn lessons from the hive. And it's kind of a female empowerment theme because most of the bees, I think only 13% are drone and that is the male bees. And then everything else is done by the women. So the rest of the hive is female and the females protect the young. They feed the young. They do everything. They tend to the queen. They are the warriors that will shoot out in your face when you open the hive and defend the hive. And so it's just like everything in the hive is pretty much done and maintained by females and the males have pretty much a solitary purpose which is to breed the queen once they breed with the queen they die and so it's kind of sad for the guys but it's definitely one of those things where you feel um, very empowered as a woman like look what we can do when we collaborate and come together and so I always look at the hive as like a collective Um, I think it connects people in a really special way like for one thing I mean, they, they say like the, the weight of a woman's heart is through her stomach. Like I always have to bring in these old cliches, but I'm like, really the way to anyone's heart is through their stomachs. I mean, it, if you eat something delicious and it makes you feel a certain way, you're just like, mmm, that feeling is like one of the most pleasure, pleasurable experiences you can have, right? So like when we provide this fresh food to our community, like we've had people say, this okra is the best okra I've had in 60 years since I'm moved from Mississippi. And so I know that we're not only is it um, connecting us to them, but it's connecting them to them. Like it's bringing back all of these uh, experiences that they've had throughout their lives with food that now just a bite of okra can bing pop somebody back 63 years or whatever to wherever they were before and be like, wow, that's what okra was. I've just seen like a lot of love growing. Like honestly, when I first got here, there was a a lot of people feeling super hopeless about it because there's no fresh food access. There's no jobs. There's, There's a lot of nothing going on up here. So I figured, well, you know, I can start making something in my own backyard and that's basically how all of this grew. It was just like there, Spanish Lake is lacking so much. And if we can do this experiment where we just love a lot of people with food and grow food for them and care for them, what would that do for a community that's like this? We've created this alternative home for our community and they love it and they they feel ownership of it and they help us make our decisions and direct our trajectory. So it's pretty awesome. And just kind of look both ways at everything that's growing. If you have any questions, just ask us. super proud of this little area because this is my three sisters garden and um, there's corn I'm growing butternut squash and pumpkins down to be a ground cover there were supposed to be rattlesnake beans but uh, they look like they're trying but they yeah I mean growing food is everything and so I think like my first lessons even though I didn't really acknowledge it or think about it that much at the time or make a big deal out of it but my grandfather inherited a 163 acre plantation in Georgia and on that land he had seven kids that worked the land 
But from that land, he fed his whole family, like it sustained his whole entire life. Um, It definitely started occurring to me once I got here with this piece of land and was actually able to steward it and feed myself from it that now I can feed a whole community with this little plot of land that I have so I think it's very empowering and I always think about the way um our relationship to the land has been fractured by the crimes that were committed on the land against black and brown people. So all of these injustices, all of this trauma that's like um, ancestral trauma, it's like deep within our bodies when these things have happened to our ancestors. And so now it's like, okay, well, the worst part about that crime that happened is we've turned away from the land and forgotten that it heals us. And so that's one of the things that I want to do is bring people back to that, like the truth that nature is the greatest healer. And that if we're willing to do the work and tend to the land, we can feed ourselves and heal ourselves and our families and our communities. You're listening to Canned Peaches, and we're excited to introduce you to our sponsor, Greenleaf Solar, the local solar installation company. Greenleaf Solar is your trusted partner in the quest to lower your carbon footprint and trim those electrical expenses, catering to both residents and businesses. The best part, they offer complimentary consultations and a 10-year done-right guarantee on all installs. To embark on the journey towards a cleaner, more affordable energy future, Google Greenleaf Solar. Let Greenleaf Solar guide you in making a meaningful impact today. Wow, I feel much calmer just listening to that, Alex. Yeah, soothing sounds and powerful words really have a way of making you calmer. And I just love the way that Janet Lewis and the group of producers and beekeepers at Rustic Roots connect that meditative calm to the energy of the bees and the collective. She says beehives show what we can do when we get together. Let's take a moment to reflect how pervasive food is in our culture. The image of food evokes more than taste. It gives insight to history, place, and identity, and literature shows how connected food can be to all those and more. Let's listen to an excerpt from Sue Monk Kidd's book, The Secret Life of Bees. You hear that, she said? A sound rushed up, a perfect hum, high-pitched and swollen, like someone had put the tea kettle on and it had come to a boil. They're cooling the hives down, she said and her breath broke over my face with the swell of spearmint. That's the sound of 100,000 bee wings fanning the air. She closed her eyes and soaked in the way you imagine people at a fancy orchestra concert drinking up highbrow music. I hope it's not too backward to say that I felt like I had never heard anything on my hi-fi back home that came out that good. You would have to hear it yourself to believe the perfect pitch, the harmony parts, how the volume rolled up and down. We had our ears pressed to a giant music box. 
the whole side of my face started to vibrate as if the music had rushed into my pores. I could see August's skin pulsing the tiniest bit. When we stood back up, my cheek prickled and itched. You were listening to B air conditioning, August said. Most people don't have any idea about all the complicated life going on inside a hive. Bees have a secret life we don't know anything about. So that soothing and calming that both Clay Stem and Janet Lewis talk about is something that a veteran might encounter differently. For Sherry Carter, she says that soothing and calming and that buzz can be powerful for someone with PTSD. In Mount Vernon, the University of Missouri Southwest Research Center hosts a program called Heroes to Hives. It connects and supports veterans who are running beekeeping operations. We met Sherry Carter and about five other veteran beekeepers at MU's research farm in Mount Vernon, Missouri on a summer Saturday. We toured this farm on a tractor, jumped over a live electric fence, and hung off the back of a wagon for the sake of some good audio. It was poetry in motion, really. (laughs) Yes, it was, Nina. (laughs) Oh. And our producer, Janet Saidi, talked with Jay Chisholm. He is the director of Southwestern Research Extension and Education Center. He gave us a proper hayride tour. See, it's a pretty good view of the farm on this side of the interstate, which is nice because if you look over this way, we have an organic project where we, um, it's kind of hard to tell, but if you look, you can kind of see some corn over there, right? See that corn over there? Okay, that's an organic project. It's uh, where we're doing it with the University of Arkansas and Winrock International out of Arkansas. Um, what is the importance of community when you're doing this stuff? <sighs> to me, it's just people helping people. We also met Sherry Carter. She's an Army veteran who says beekeeping has gotten her out of her isolation and helps her keep going with a service-related disability. I am um, 100% disabled, and so we, to go into more detail, I'm trying to find ways to run the farm accessibly. I was skeptical, I'd say, when I first heard that it's therapeutic, And it really is, because you do need to kind of stay calm, work things uh, methodically, you know, and just, it's calming. And just their tone, and there's a lot of science, I'm sure, behind that. I don't know, I don't know about, but I know that their tone kind of helps you regulate your heartbeat and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of scientific um, evidence to show that that really is helpful for people with PTSD and Um, anxiety and that kind of thing so it really is helpful to go out there and it's soothing and calming and their tone goes up and down and you kind of just I don't it's hard to explain um, but it is very interesting to go out and you can just hear that going on and the you can tell there when their excitement level goes up and all of that so yeah that's it's interesting to go out and they become a listener to bees, I suppose. Okay, I'm going to go up here and turn around at the dairy. Can you smell that? And look at all the butterflies on this one bush alone. So how many sprigs do you think? I would just say, overall, it's gotten me out of the house. I think eventually it'll be um, an outlet. Like I was saying before, um, it's therapeutic to work your hive. I haven't really had that much experience or working it as much as it probably could utilize for therapeutic use. 
but just getting out of the house, um, being here and socializing, it's been very helpful for me because I tend to um, isolate. And in in my, uh, if I get depressed or anything, I tend to isolate. And then I have to really just work really hard to get away from that. And so this really has gotten me out to meet new people and uh, learn a new skill, which is great to have. And just being able to share that with other people, like I was saying, I kind of now I feel kind of like a mentor, even though I'm still learning myself. I can point people in the right direction to just, you know, get plugged into certain programs that might help them in the long run, too. That feels good. Yeah, it does. Oh, helping. Helping is healing. I mean, it, it really is. Thanks to Jay Chisholm, Kirk Teener, Sherry Carter, and field specialist Amy Patillo at MU Southwest Research Farm for showing us around. It was amazing. Everywhere we go on this podcast, we ask people, do you want to cook with us? And the Heroes to Hives veterans and their organizer, Amy, did. So we got some honey and made a delicious stir fry, chopping and prepping and talking and laughing and, of course, eating together. Man, I really want some stir-fry right now. I know. It was so good. Uh-huh. Okay, just really briefly, I'll tell you who I am and what we're going to try and do. Okay. What we're going to try and do. What we're going to try and do. Okay, I picked up a recipe you'll see in front of each chopping board that is teriyaki stir-fry, mainly because you may not think to use honey in that, and since we just visited hives with all that lovely honey being made, this is a good way to bring it into your kitchen. I loved hearing Sherry talking about how the communities of bees have led to community and connection for these veterans. Yeah, it was so nice. Um, We cooked alongside with them, too, and that was just such a good way to learn all of these very kind people. I tell you, you learn the most about people in their kitchens and helping make their favorite foods, or any foods, actually. It's time to come get your stir-fry in. It looks like a lot of food's already out on the tables, but come and get the hot stuff. Woo-hoo! <laughs> this is really good. Yeah, so that looks good. It smells like good. It? Doesn't that smell good? It does smell good. Have you yeah. ate? I haven't eaten it. No, so go eat. You, you know. need to lay that thing down and eat. Oh, thank you guys very much. When we first started this podcast, our team and I found that food ingredients are something that connects us to our past, to our histories, to each other. And so we decided to ask all of the people we met, how does food connect you? How does honey connect you? After a while, talking with people like Army veteran Sherry Carter, we realized that we don't even have to ask the question. When people like Clay Stem or Janet Lewis at Rustic Roots or Sherry Carter in Southern Missouri are beekeeping, or growing peaches, or cooking stir-fry. It's always about gathering with other people and coming together through food. Like Sherry says, it's getting us out of isolation, getting us maybe even out of depression, and getting us together. Canned Peaches is produced by Lauren Heinz Acosta, Janet Saidi, and me, Nina Mukherjee Firstenau, with production help from Yasha Mikowajczyk and Alex Cox. The series is written by Lauren Hines Acosta and Janet Saidi. Our editor is Aaron Hay. 
Thanks to Alex Cox for co-hosting this episode with me. Anytime, Nina. (laughs) It's a pleasure, Alex. Canned Peaches is a project of the Missouri News Network at the Missouri School of Journalism, Fox Magazine, Harvest Public Media, and KBIA. Our engagement and outreach team is led by Jessica Bond Martin, Cassidy Arena, and Professor Kara Edgerson. Special thanks to Harvest Public Media's Maria Altman, Fox Magazine's Heather Isherwood, and the Missouri School of Journalism's Lee Hills Chair in Free Press Studies, Professor Kathy Kiley. Canned Peaches is produced with support from Missouri Humanities and the Missouri Humanities Trust Fund. On Canned Peaches, we're exploring how we're all connected through the food on our plates. For more episodes, go to kbia.org. And you can see more stories from Canned Peaches at voxmagazine.com. I'm Nina Mukherjee-Firstenau. Thanks for listening. See you next time.